Father in heaven, we thank you that you're a God who longs for us to know you and to hear your voice and to take it to heart. And we pray for your grace towards us today to enable us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm wondering um, if, as you join us today, you, you join us expecting God to speak to you that um, God Almighty, the living God, the God of heaven and earth, would actually be addressing you personally. Uh, I know it's a big claim to make, but I believe that to be true. And let me therefore ask again, if that's what you're expecting, are you expecting God to speak to you today? Because you should be, according to the verse I actually want to highlight Um, for today. I want to actually head into the New Testament and take my text from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, today, because that is where, in the New Testament, Psalm 95 is most extensively quoted. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's Hebrews 3 verses 7 and 8, which you will recognize as a quotation from Psalm 95. But the way the New Testament writer introduces it is so telling, not as words said by the psalmist, not as words said by David, although Hebrews chapter 4 says that that is true, but as the Holy Spirit says, and significantly, as the Holy Spirit says not as the Holy Spirit said long ago. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. I wonder if you believe that, and that's your expectation. It's claiming that the Holy Spirit speaks directly to us today through what he spoke to the Old Testament believers way back then. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, we're supposed to be studying Psalm 95 in our summer series in the Psalms, but that slant from Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 gives us the all-important steer on how we are to read and respond to Psalm 95, and to do so as Christian scripture. Will we listen to God's voice with a receptive, tender heart Because if we refuse to do that, then there is a chilling warning for us. Back in Psalm 95, those two place names were mentioned. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, referring to what we heard in our first reading, to the time when the people of Israel were in the wilderness after they'd escaped from Egypt. One day everybody got out of bed the wrong side. And the moaning began from breakfast onwards. Manna munches again for cereal which had been fine to begin with, I suppose. But come on, Moses, day after day after day. Then the next day they arrive at Meribah, and they found that the water supplies had run out. And so the complaints begin again. What was the point? Why did God bring us out here to die? Why not kill us in Egypt? At least the food was good there. And God in the psalm says that they paid for that attitude. So do you hear what God said? For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, there are people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So, says God, I declared on oath in my anger, 
they shall never enter my rest. They'd seen what God had done, the amazing things in rescuing them, the ten plagues, the Red Sea, and still they thought God doesn't love us. God won't keep his promises. And God is justly angry with that. How ungrateful they were. And God made sure that they never made it to the promised land. The whole generation who'd escaped from Egypt died in the desert, everybody except for two people, Joshua and Caleb. But the point is this, you see. It's not just ancient history. The Old Testament church sang this psalm down the centuries following that episode, uh, singing to each other to tell each other not to make the same mistake. What a calamity it would be if Israel now, having finally made it into the promised land, lost that rest, they were effectively saying as they sang to each other. Don't forget all that God has done in bringing you into Canaan, they sang to each other. Or you may lose that promised rest, just like the generation who died in the desert, which ultimately happened as they were exiled, remember, to Babylon. So that's how they sang it in the Old Testament. Then Hebrews, as the epistle of warning, makes the same challenge in the New Testament. How shall we escape if we neglect the even greater rescue which God has brought to us through Jesus? And it's not as if he's asking this question of himself. Could the first generation, the very first generation of the Christian church, the early days, possibly make the same mistake as those guys in the Old Testament days did? After seeing all that Jesus had done when he died on the cross for sin, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, which made it completely clear that Jesus was God's final word, could they somehow blow it? Well, what a tragedy that would be. But it could happen. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And surely the point is that not just the first century church might make that mistake, but that we might in the 21st century. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, all saints little Shelford, do not harden your hearts. Okay, I've labored that as an introduction. Somebody who, who got it, by the way, was Thomas Cranmer, the Archbishop of Canterbury in the uh, 16th century, which is why, some of us will be aware of this, I can see people that uh, were born and bred on morning and evening prayer, it's why potentially this psalm, Psalm 95, would be read or said or sung every day of the year in the daily office or the daily service of morning prayer. And uh, that pattern of morning and evening prayer was so integral to what Cranmer was doing. But the Vanity, as it's called, Psalm 95, was there on the books for morning prayer every day of the year. But I wonder if you know what the groundbreaking, distinctive new thing that happened in morning and evening prayer when Cranmer introduced it in the 16th century was. It's this. He set up a system for going through the whole sweep of the Bible, Old and New Testament, in the everyday language of the people. So that you effectively got, in morning prayer, and then again in the evening, two readings, Old Testament, New Testament, at least two readings, possibly three. And for good measure, you got 
150 psalms in the course of the month as well. And effectively what it meant was this. If you didn't have a Bible in your home for your own personal devotions, that's a comparatively new thing, great thing, but a new thing. If you didn't have a Bible in your home, or if you hadn't learned to read, you ask the question, how could you hear the Scriptures day by day? Answer, go where there was a Bible. Go where there's someone who could read it to you. And Psalm 95, at the start of the service in morning prayer, was a call to worship, yes, but part of that worship or worthship was to say to God, you are worthy of my attention when you speak, Lord God. You will certainly be speaking in the Bible readings that we're going to have in morning and evening prayer. So when I hear your voice, I'd better listen and act on what I hear. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now, if we were to walk through the psalm, the whole psalm, it would move us through three steps towards this point we've been uh, focusing on. Rejoicing, to begin with. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. My daughter and I were watching some old footage of Mr. Bean on the box recently, and there's a sketch where he finds himself in a church service where the entire proceedings, it seemed to me, were designed to put everybody to sleep, and the congregation complied very happily. And Anglican services used to take pride in being understated, respectful, and dull. There's that story about a, a child being shown around a church and asking who all the people whose names appeared on a brass plaque were, name after name after name, in, in very small typeface. Oh, said Grandpa, those are the names of all the people who died in the services. Really, said the child, morning or evening service. Now, dull services are absolutely contrary to the spirit of this psalm, aren't they? Joyful, exuberant, shouty even. And note that mention of thanksgiving. That's so helpful spiritually instead of the entitled approach that we all have easily today. God ought to give me a better deal, which the Israelites had as their outlook. Instead of that, we say, thank you, God. Everything I have from you is undeserved and unearned. It's a free gift from you. It's so important after a difficult year and a half for all of us to cultivate that thankfulness. For the Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And that God says to us, come, welcome, come before me and rejoice. So, rejoicing. Then a second stage we pass through, reverence. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. So, in case we think it's just talking about mindless exuberance and joy, um, in case we're worried about sort of breezing into the presence of God as if we were greeting friends waiting for us down in the Navigator pub. No, we bow down before him humbly 
and submissively. The word for worship, I understand, means to prostrate myself, to fall to my knees before him. Now, it's possible, I know, to be super spiritual and to make too much of religious bowing and scraping. But there's an equal and opposite error, you know, where I easily make this mistake, where I, I play the super spiritual card in a slightly different way. I know better than the religious person, I'm thinking, and I emphasize the close relationship I have with Almighty God, and I say that bodily posture is therefore irrelevant. And this verse says, let us kneel. At the very least, inwardly, but why not outwardly, if we can, and if we can avoid drawing too much attention to ourselves as we do so. So, reverence, because he is our maker and our master. We are the people of his pasture. He's looking after us, amazingly running the universe with an eye on us for our good. So, rejoicing together, then reverence together, those are two stages, two parts of our corporate worship, or should be. But let's not miss the direction of travel in the psalm. The third stage is so important. Will we do it today, this stage, and I'm going to call it receptiveness or reception, receiving his word. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, says Hebrews, quoting the rest of the psalm. In other words, God is reaching out to all of us to me, to all of us. Today, now, this moment in his word. And I find it helpful to just pinch myself and say, look, Simon, don't settle for a past experience of hearing his voice. I heard God calling me 40 years ago. Well, that's great, but he's addressing me today, and I must receive his word today. The only proof of past conversion is present convertedness. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He is speaking to us. He's been reminding us this morning of his goodness and kindness. He's been welcoming us together into his presence. Come, come, come. Three times it says it in this psalm. And we know that welcome even more clearly, this side of the cross, don't we? God opening his arms wide for us when Jesus died for us on the cross. To say, I love you this much. I'll forgive your sins. I'll give you a future and a hope. Welcome, come. Don't believe the grumblers who find reasons to run away from God. That lies the oldest one around. Remember? That question that God asks in, in Genesis 3, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Implication being, what a spoil sport God is. He's always roping off all the fun so you can't have it. Don't touch that tasty morsel. What a killjoy. That is a lie. Whereas God invites us to real joy, lasting joy with him. And we actually set our sights way too low if we think that Money, sex, and power are what we should live for. He invites us today in his word. And therefore, I must engage with his word today, even a very familiar word, and not let my heart get hardened 
and resistant to his word. Because the psalm is saying the consequences are too awful to imagine. Even with all the privileges we've had, we could miss out on eternal life and eternal rest if we don't keep listening and responding to his word. I know that people often get worried by warnings like Psalm 95. It does sound very stern and strong. It's too strong meat for the denomination, I have to admit. Most of the times, if the benighted does get said in the Church of England, people axe from verse 7 onwards because they're too scared of the consequences. We're meant to be scared, and I know people do get worried by it. Doesn't the Bible want us to have assurance that if we're the sheep of his pasture, we're safe, he'll never let us go? Well, yes, real assurance should be ours, but not false assurance. God's word offers comfort to those who are worried about their sins and run to him for that comfort. God's word offers us comfort if we're worried in that sense, but God also wants to worry those who are comfortable when they shouldn't be. And if we lack receptiveness to his word that could be us so I want to ask you will you find time today to pray for a soft heart that rejoices in God's loving invitation to you I must get rid of the ingratitude that tells God that he should show up for me a whole lot more because he's lucky to have me on his books and instead humbly receive his word afresh with joy and with humility, almost as if it were the very first time I'd heard his voice. It's that sort of present tense, existential encounter with God through his word that the Bible's calling us today. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let's pray. We ask you would help us, gracious God, to have humble, tender hearts and to receive your word and trust it this day and every day. For Jesus' sake. Amen.